On this episode of Blue 58, Matt LaFleur is making moves on the Packers coaching staff, but the Packers still have fewer coaches than it maybe feels like they should. Is that bad? Let's find out, then dive into our predictions from last season and see how we did. Plus, the NFL's overtime rules are fine. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58. I am your host, John Meerdink. Excited to be with you here for episode number 100. And 51. I was so excited about episode 150 last week that I completely forgot to actually mention it was episode 150. Nice big round number. Sounds pretty good. Didn't have anything especially significant planned, but I wanted to take a second during the last episode to give a shout out to you. And I forgot. So I will take the top portion of this episode to do exactly that. As we head into the next 150 episode, I have to take a second to thank you for getting us to where we are. I know that at times this show has been perhaps literally difficult to listen to. We have, we've had some audio episodes. There have been times of inconsistency. During our first season in existence, we took almost two months off just because things were a little bit crazy. And you've been with us, been with me in particular, through a lot of ups and downs in my individual life. Just since this podcast started, we have moved from an apartment into a house, from that house in with my in-laws, sold that house originally, bought another house, moved into that one, and a whole bunch of other things have happened along with that. Moving between states, all sorts of stuff like that. And the thing that I've always been able to count on in that time period is being able to fire up the microphone, talk a little bit of Packers, and know that people are going to be there to listen to it. And that is really, really cool and really rewarding. It doesn't have to be a lot of people, and at times it hasn't been. Um, In the not-too-distant past, we were still getting like single-digit downloads per day. Not per episode, but it it was close. Um, The point is, I've really enjoyed doing this, and I wanted to thank everybody who has made that possible. Um, Gary does a lot of great work behind the scenes and continues to do so. A lot of the research for this show is thanks to him. Uh, But really, I want to make this about you because without the audience, there is no show. Just a guy talking into his microphone very sadly in his basement. And there are a lot of podcasts like that, many of which are very legitimate for in their own right. But um, the point is, I want to thank you for sticking around with us and thank you for being with us through these, at times, disappointing Packers seasons. We have now podcasted in all or part of three Packers seasons. One ended with a very disappointing NFC Championship game. Another one ended pretty much when Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. And the third one just ended and you know, all the stuff that happened there. But it's been, it's never been boring. Like I'll say that. And uh, it's been made all the more interesting by everybody who's listened in along the way. So thank you for doing that. Let's dive into what we have for this week. Matt LaFleur is still filling out his coaching staff and he seems to be filling it out relatively slowly, but we are starting to get, get some, get some movement. The Packers within the last 24 to 48 hours or so have reportedly, still not officially with all of these coaching staff hires. And you got to be careful because some of these these guys have been reported as hired, then it's turned out to not be true. But um, it seems like they have added two new names. Luke Getze returns to the Packers this time as a quarterback's coach, and Justin Outen will be the tight ends coach. Brian Angelicchio will not be coming back. 
there had been some previous reports that had said that he was staying. Uh, it's a little bit odd that he would leave now, but it's clear that the Packers are trying to make a clean break from Mike McCarthy's staff. And all things considered, your tight ends coach, you can probably plug in, plug one in fairly interchangeably. The, the big thing we've learned, not to, not to diminish anybody's accomplishment, but, but the big thing that I think Gary and I have learned researching all of these assistant coach hires and all the, you know, the assistant coaches who move around the league is there's a lot more capable assistant coaches than people would like you to believe. Um, it seems like a super big na- big deal now to get the absolute best and brightest assistant coaches. And there is something to the really good guys. But there's a lot of guys that are on the upper end of the bell curve anyway. So as long as you get the guys that are the right fit, and we'll talk about this in a second, you're doing probably okay. Uh, but Luke Getze is back. Um, we talked about this a little bit last week, gave you the details on on his background. So we won't go in super into super big detail there, but I think it is interesting, and this is something we kind of alluded to last week, that he is going to be back as the QB coach. It'll be an interesting bridge between Aaron Rodgers and uh, and his pass catchers, I think, and probably a useful addition for Matt LaFleur. Never hurts to have guys that are relatively young, have some good ideas, and um, have some great existing connections with players. Uh, it's never a bad idea to have those guys around. Luke Getze certainly checks all of those marks, so good on him. Uh, good hire, it seems like. Second hire is Justin Outen. He will be filling Brian Andrelicio's role as tight ends coach. I'll read you his background, courtesy of the Packers Wire. Um, and we'll be probably doing a little bit more on him because he got an... I, I don't want to say... I don't want to oversell it and say it's a super interesting background, but his career journey to date has been interesting. Uh, From the Packers Wire, the last two seasons, Outen has served as an assistant under offensive line coach Chris Morgan, who helped bring him to Atlanta. Almost all of Outen's coaching experiences come with the offensive line, a three-year starter at center for Syracuse. Outen spent two years as a graduate assistant at the school, assisting with the offensive line. He was the assistant head coach offensive coordinator and offensive line coach at Spring Westfield High School in Houston, Texas, before rejoining Morgan with the Falcons. Um, I think it's a little bit odd that he doesn't have any really established background with tight ends at the professional level. But um, I think this is also a good fit in that Matt LaFleur's tight ends uh, tend to be a little bit more blocking oriented than most in the Titans used a heck of a lot more tight ends than the Packers typically do last year. It's interesting that he is, uh, Outen is, that is, still young enough to have an active athletic profile at the Syracuse Athletics website. Uh, I always like reading the personal sections on these from player prospects and things like that. They give like his full name, his birth date, some stuff like that. So for him it reads, uh, Justin Robert Outen. Born October 26, 1983 in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, the son of Dennis and Maria Outen. He has one brother and one sister and is a dual major in child and family studies and physical education with a specialization in coaching. Good on you, Justin Robert Outen. Um, Also interesting to note, Mr. Outen played way back in the day. Well, not super way back. He's not that old. But he played for Mike De- Petten's dad, Mike Petten Sr., in high school. Interesting connection there. 
uh, there's always a connection. You can always find a connection between a guy who gets hired and the coaching staff of which he becomes a part. The bigger question here is whether or not it's bad that Matt LaFleur is moving slowly. Sure seems like the Packers are taking their time, and LaFleur in particular, filling out their coaching staff. Uh, The hire for LaFleur went faster than I think we anticipated, but overall this process seems to be taking a while. Mike McCarthy filled out his staff much more quickly than Matt LaFleur. We're now two weeks, more than two weeks, into the LaFleur era since I mean, he wasn't introduced until, you know how it breaks down, but he was introduced two Mondays ago, or reportedly hired two Mondays ago, rather. Um, And he still doesn't have the staff filled out. If you go to the staff page at Packers.com, it only shows LaFleur, Nathaniel Hackett, and Mike Pettin on their their site. And I've been using the, like, um, naming convention that they use to name pages on their site to try and see if they've been building other pages behind the scenes. I haven't been able to uncover anything that. So other guys um, that have been reportedly hired, like Adam Stenovich, they, he still doesn't have a page, and I haven't been able to uncover anything there. Um, so even at Packers.com, they're moving relatively slowly. Is this a bad thing, though? On the one hand, going slow can seem a little bit silly. As I kind of alluded to earlier, how different are these guys really? What's one offensive line coach or tight ends coach going to do for your staff that another guy really can't do? Is one guy really that much more special than another? In some cases, yes, but generally speaking, eh, our research has kind of shown there's quite a few qualified assistant coaches out there. And some of these positions are going unfilled for what seems like silly reasons from the outside. Darren Rizzi, for example, was apparently not brought on board after a disagreement over compensation. Obviously a good move for Rizzi. Get your money when you can. Never settle for less if you don't have to, but kind of weird from the Packers' perspective. So the Packers have over or have turned over every important non-Mark Murphy position in their organization over the last 13 months. They've got a new general manager. They've got a new head coach. They've got a new offensive coordinator. They've got a new defensive coordinator. And they're going to have a new just about everything else in Green Bay. And after all that, to have the sticking point on an assistant coach be money? I mean, why pinch pennies now? That just seems silly. But on the other hand, Lafleur being a little bit picky is probably worthwhile. Gary and I talked at length about this. Gary, if there is a Gary. Um, maybe, maybe Gary is just a fictional character. Maybe I've been imagining him this whole time. Who knows? Has anyone actually seen him? It's been a while since I've seen Gary. Anyway, that took a weird turn. Episode 151, off to a great start. Um, He and I talked a lot about fit. That's something Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst both mentioned repeatedly about Matt LaFleur. Just seemed like a good fit, had the fit they were looking for. And it seems reasonable to extend that sort of thinking to both LeFleur's approach to the coaching staff and the team's approach to the coaching staff because you can't forget that the team itself plays a big role in who gets hired. That's one of the biggest sticking points in whether or not a particular guy gets the job at all in in any team situation. It's also worth remembering that LeFleur has a very, very short time to get things right. 
Think about how short his window is going to be here before his seat really starts to get hot. You imagine the outroar, outcry, uproar, that's the word, if he doesn't make the playoffs this year. Or like two years from now, after two seasons in Green Bay, his career record is like 20 and 12. Two 10 and 6 seasons. Or the equivalent of two 10 and 6 seasons. Maybe a 9 and 5, or a 9 and 7, and 11 and 5. That's not super inspiring. And there will probably be some significant pushback. And Aaron Rodgers will be getting fairly old at that point. If Lafleur is doing his best right now to find guys who fit in well with the vision he has for this staff, from a familiarity and feelings perspective, I think he should do that. Because he's got to get this right. There's very little room for error. Let's take a second and review our predictions from the 2018 season. This episode is always one of my favorite ones to do. We did it after 2016. We did it after last season. And now we'll do it after this one. I, as a rule, do not really like to make predictions. I'll do it about the roster. I'll do a big slew of them at the beginning of the year. And then from then on out, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Even predicting who's going to win a particular game, especially if you look at my record this year, Predictions are not really my thing. I'm more interested in figuring out why something happened than trying to predict what what is going to happen. But as we always do, we made some anyway, and now is the time to figure out how we did. If you'll recall and you want to go back to look, um, we laid out three different kinds of predictions all the way back in episode 91, released in the third week of June 2018. Seems like an entirely different world. Those predictions fell into three different categories. Predictions about players, predictions about stats, and predictions about outcomes. Namely, the outcomes of the Packers season. So let's go one by one through those predictions. Some will take a long time to break down. Others will not take very long at all. And see how I did. Were they good predictions or were they not? On balance... It was a pretty good year, I think. 2017, not so good. We kind of got gutted top to bottom by the Aaron Rodgers injury then. This year, did a little bit better. But still, team issues kind of derailed some of our predictions. Let's work through these player predictions first and foremost. Prediction number one. I predicted that Aaron Rodgers would have his contract extension done by the end of training camp. A lot of people predicted that it would drag into the regular season. I think Andrew Brandt even said at one point that uh, things would potentially drag throughout the entire season into the next offseason. That ended up not being the case. Aaron Rodgers did get his contract done by the end of training camp. One for one. Let's just stop right there. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode. Uh, You can always find us at Facebook. No, I won't do that. Funny joke. Prediction number two, maybe not quite so good. Both Deshaun Kaiser and Brett Hundley will be on the final 53-man roster. As it turned out, that was false, although the Packers did keep three quarterbacks on their initial 53-man roster. Brett Hundley, as you'll remember, was traded to the Seattle Seahawks on August 29th, a little more than a month after our predictions podcast came out, like 35 days or something like that. I think this was still, I would still stand by the thinking behind this prediction. 
I believe the Packers would end up keeping three quarterbacks. If both of them were good, there was very little reason to to move on from one or the other. I didn't really understand the argument about cutting one. Uh, there's really no reason to cut one of the guys. If you're going to keep three quarterbacks anyway, you might as well keep your best three quarterbacks, unless you're really worried about Tim Boyle getting away. But the Packers really kind of had the decision made for them here when they had a chance to get a sixth-round pick for Brett Hundley. You take that deal if you can get it, and they did. So one for two. That one is for sure not a win. Prediction number three, though, turned out to be a big win for us. We predicted that Kyler Fackrell would make the 2018 Packers. And as it turned out, he did. In hindsight, after the year Kyler Fackrell had, it's a little bit weird to think that this was a legit question, but it was. There were a lot of people who thought Kyler Fackrell wasn't going to make it. That Reggie Gilbert, uh, I think, was going to take a lot more snaps than he ended up. I think there was a couple undrafted free agent types that people liked. Uh, Vince Beagle was still a factor at that point. That tells you a lot. Um, And Kyler Fackrell was going to be on the outside looking in. Um, I thought it was still a little bit early. And as it turned out, here we are. Kyler Fackrell made the team. Had a good 2018 season. I also predicted, quite wrongly as it turns out, that 2018 was going to be a down year for undrafted free agents. And as it turned out, it was actually kind of an up year. Four players, four undrafted free agent players, made the initial the initial 53-man roster. Tim Boyle, Alex Light, James Crawford, and Raven Green. And even more incredibly, all four of those guys were on the 53-man roster at the end of the season. Green finished the season on injured reserve, but still, you see what I'm saying. All four of them played most of the season and would have played all of the season on the active roster had it not been for injury. That was more than in most of the past few seasons. In 2017, just two undrafted free agents made it, Justin Vogel and Lindsey Pipkins. But in 2016, six players made it. In 2015, they had two again. In 2014, just one that I could find. And in 2013, there were two. Some of those names or seasons may be off by one or so. The point is, with four, the Packers actually had a bit of an up year for undrafted free agents this season. I thought the Packers were deeper at a couple positions than, I guess, Brian Gutekunst ended up thinking. And I didn't anticipate a guy like James Crawford kind of coming out of nowhere late and making the roster, but he ended up being a big-time contributor on special teams. So an up year for free agents, actually. So I think we can, we can say two for four so far. Two right, two wrong. Let's move on to stat predictions. These ended up being hilariously bad in a couple instances. For instance, I predicted that Aaron Rodgers would throw at least 40 touchdowns, 40 or more touchdowns this year. Nope, not even close. Aaron Rodgers did not throw 40 touchdowns. He hit a career low for touchdown passes in years in which he played the full season. Not great, Bob. Also predicted the Packers would have no 1,000-yard rushers. That one ended up being... True, but it was pretty close. 
and ended up being a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. Aaron Jones was on pace for just under 1,000 yards, and had he played all 16 games, he would have been real close. But the two missed games that he had at the start of the season uh, due to suspension, the two he had at the end of the season due to injury, obviously made it a lot tougher for him to get to 1,000 yards. But he was on pace to rush for like 971 yards. He was like two yards off the pace for a full season. Real close. But, so, doesn't count. Didn't get there. There's a correct prediction for me. So three right, three wrong. I also predicted nobody would get to 10 sacks this year for the Packers, but they would have three players with six sacks or more. The thinking here was that the Packers didn't have one standout pass rusher, but thanks to Mike Pettin, they would be able to get pressure from multiple players that maybe would be able to rack up some stats that way. Wrong on both counts, unfortunately. Kyler Fackrell had 10 sacks, so he broke through the 10-sack barrier. But... Only Kyler Fackrell and Kenny Clark had more than six. Blake Martinez had five. Real close. But beyond that, nobody was even close to six sacks. In fact, Fackrell, Clark, and Martinez were the only players to have five or more sacks this year. Clay Matthews was next in line with three and a half, and then had three more or so taken from him by the officials. And then Dean Lowry had three this year, but nobody is really counting on Dean Lowry for pass rush anyway. I thought... Mike Pettin would find a way to get more guys into the backfield for sacks than he ended up doing. Still got quite a few sacks overall, and I think still managed to get um, quite a bit of pressure, but it just didn't convert to sack numbers. So three correct, four incorrect so far. On the back end of the defense, I predicted that nobody would have more than four interceptions. This is something that turned out to be correct. But there's a significant technicality here. Ha-ha, Clinton Dix had three interceptions in seven games for the Packers before he was traded. Would he have gotten to four? It kind of seems like he probably would have over the remainder of the season. He was having a pretty good year when the Packers traded him, statistically at least. And they definitely sold high on him. I mean, would you get a fourth round pick for him if you tried to trade him right now? I mean, they couldn't because he's about to be a free agent, but you see what I'm saying. Uh, No, no, the Redskins could not. So, correct. We'll say that's three and a half out of eight so far. Not great. Also on a technicality, we get the prediction that Oren Burks would have more snaps at linebacker this year than Jake Ryan. Technically, this is 100% correct. Oren Burks had significantly more snaps this year across all positions than did Jake Ryan, but that's only because Jake Ryan tore his ACL in training camp. And of course, he could not play this season. So Oren Burks did outsnap Jake Ryan. However, I think this prediction absolutely would have ended up being incorrect had Jake Ryan stayed healthy all this season because Antonio Morrison ended up with twice as many snaps on defense this year as did Oren Burks, and he runs like he's carrying a full shipment of bowling balls with him at all times. It's hard to think that Jake Ryan wouldn't have been similar. Clearly, Mike Pettin wanted something that Oren Burks was not capable of giving at this point in his career. Because 
athletically, he is superior to any other linebacker the Packers have on the roster right now, probably inside or outside. If he couldn't get on the field with that athleticism with the linebackers at inside linebacker the Packers have now, it's hard to see him unseating Jake Ryan, who, although he's not a spectacular athlete either, is kind of like Blake Martinez light. At the very least, he is assignment sure, and he's not going to screw things up for you. It, this probably would have ended up being incorrect. So we've got three that are correct outright, four that were incorrect, and two that are kind of asterisks. Let's move on to our final, final category here, the ones that are laughably bad, the outcome predictions. I went with a range on the Packers' win-loss record this year. I uh, predicted they'd go between 10-6 and 6 and 12-4. and 4. Nice work, idiot. They did not. <laughs> I think I, I was hardly alone in this, of course, but the Packers were hilariously far away from being 10 and 6. 10 and 6 would have felt pretty nice at this point. 10 and 6 in July would have felt like a huge disappointment. 10 and 6 now, I would take 10 and 6. I also predicted the Packers would not win the NFC North, but would get into the playoffs. Again, wrong. Hilariously wrong. Sadly wrong. Have to laugh or otherwise you'd cry. Kind of wrong. I don't think we need to dig into these anymore. So, final total, three correct, six incorrect, and two technically correct. Though technically correct is the best kind of correct, I'm not feeling super great about those predictions. So, maybe this is why I don't feel super comfortable making predictions. I'm just not very good at them. While I've got you here, I need to take a second to speak in defense of the NFL's overtime rules. There have been a lot of complaints about this, in particular related to the New England Patriots-Kansas City Chiefs game. A lot of people out there saying that they're upset that the Chiefs didn't quote-unquote get a chance in overtime. Well, I would like to tell you that I do not buy that argument one little bit. At its core, football is about two things. Scoring points and stopping other people from scoring points. Defense is literally half of the game. Stopping people from scoring is half of the game. If your defense can't stop people from scoring a touchdown when you need it the most, I have absolutely zero pity for you. That is just the way it is. I'm sorry that the rules do not give you a chance to respond, but guess what? You had your chance to respond. Your defense is your response. That is how the game of football works. That's just how it works. You can go on and on about how it's not fair that Patrick Mahomes didn't get a chance to respond to Tom Brady or whatever, but the Chiefs had their chance. They could have stopped the Patriots on that drive, and they didn't. And as a result, they are sitting at home instead of preparing for the Super Bowl. I think as Packers fans, we should have the least amount of pity, not the most, for teams that are in this situation. Twice in Aaron Rodgers' career, in consecutive seasons no less, he was eliminated, and the Packers, in situations where the Packers went to overtime but never had a chance to possess the ball. But you know what? In both of those situations, the Packers failed hugely at one significant responsibility. They could not keep their opposing counterparts out of the end zone. 
cast your minds back to the painful memory of the 2014 NFC Championship game. When the game was at its most critical in the fourth quarter and overtime, the Packers' defense and special teams, but that's a different discussion, utterly failed at keeping the Seahawks out of the end zone. On the Seahawks' final three drives that were not ended by the end of a half or a quarter, so just one, they scored touchdowns. They scored a touchdown with when on a drive that started with just under four minutes to go. They scored a touchdown on a drive that started with just more than two minutes to go. And they scored a touchdown on the first drive of overtime. Had the Packers' defense stopped any one of those drives, any one of three opportunities, the Packers would have gone to the Super Bowl that year. But they didn't. And people remember it as the game where Aaron Rodgers didn't get a chance because the Packers couldn't recover an onside kick or uh, they gave up a touchdown in overtime. It's not about Aaron Rodgers not having a chance. It's about the defense not doing its job. And if we want to have these big, long discussions about why wins shouldn't be a quarterback stat, we need to put some of the L on the defense. We can't blame the rules for Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers not getting a chance, but you can blame the defense because they didn't do their job. And that's why the Chiefs lost. That's why the Packers lost. And that's why you can't blame the rules for how this game sorts out. If you're going to blame a coin toss for putting your defense out on the field when your defense is capable of losing the game for you, in the words of my father-in-law, that kind of sounds like a personal problem. That doesn't sound like something you should be blaming the quarter for. Blame your defense for not getting a stop when you need it. It's not the rules' fault. It's your fault. That's all I've got for you on this episode. You can find us, as you always do, on Facebook and on Twitter and, of course, at thepowersweep.com. Reach out via email if you'd be so kind at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us as you have been doing so faithfully over the past year to two years to three years, however long it's been. 151 episodes, right? Uh, on patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar per month helps us defray the costs of hosting this podcast, our website, everything that goes into making this entire operation. If you'd like to wear your support on your sleeve, check out our selection of fine t-shirts and sweatshirts and everything else at teespring.com. Click the shop link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there. If you'd be so kind, you could leave us a review on iTunes as well. It helps more people find the show. Uh, really do appreciate all of those. Enjoy reading them from time to time. We do love to hear from you, whether it's a review or an email or a Facebook message or a Twitter message or whatever. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better. It makes Blue 58 better and ultimately makes all of us smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Blue 58.